The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello, my name is Dominic Hopper, administrator at the European Patent Office and your host today. A warm welcome to this very special edition of Talk Innovation. To celebrate the 50 years of the EPC, the European Patent Convention, EPO has organized a number of initiatives, including an internal short story competition on the topic of disability and innovation. The goal was to foster understanding of challenges faced by people living with a disability and highlight how technology can help overcome them. We did expect intelligent and valuable stories, of course. Our staff are knowledgeable in many things. What we didn't expect, though, was such an overwhelming, emotional, empathetic and creative response from colleagues, sharing their unique personal views and going beyond the short story format to include accounts of personal experiences, videos and poetry, heart, soul and creativity on top of knowledge and intelligence. Therefore, while this was intended for our staff only, we decided to share the three winning pieces also with you, EPO's users, stakeholders and followers. And what better way than reading the winning stories and asking the authors themselves to tell us about the flame and inspiration behind their words. So, without any further ado, let's start with the first story that won the most moving prize. Who am I? A science fiction content written by Brian Rutledge, examiner in molecular diagnostics. For those of you who don't know, patent applications are texts and drawings describing an invention for which an individual or a company is seeking legal protection. An EPO's examiner's main task is to search and examine these patent applications. This being clarified, let's go back to who am I. With this story, Brian addresses the question of gene therapy in a very original way, crossing viewpoints of scientists, patients and family members, and describing their challenges, their doubts, their hopes, their fears. Born in the depths of the sun, the neutrino burst forth, expelled by a massive solar flare and headed into space where eight minutes later it would change someone's world. It passed through Mercury's core unscathed, avoided Venus, which lay at that moment on the other side of the sun, and plunged into the fragile atmosphere of a blue and white planet. Unhindered by solid matter, it passed effortlessly through the air, roof tiles, brick walls and wood flooring of the house until it encountered organic matter where it slipped through the molecular interstices of the soft tissue and smashed into the double helix of a cell on the point of dividing before continuing on its eternal path. The immature neonatal nucleic acid repair enzymes missed the damage to the vital control gene that, amongst other functions, organized embryonic neural development. The new young parents placed the sleeping child in the newly constructed crib. Their tight embrace and tender kiss spoke of their joy, hopes and expectations. The suspicions of the mother occurred earlier but the one-year developmental check confirmed their worst fears. Disbelief, 
Anger, confusion and grief followed, out of which grew a steely determination to provide the best life possible for their child and to maximise their potential. Every avenue of possibility was explored, and years of intensive therapy resulted in developmental improvements. Walking was achieved, but late. A level of communication was established, albeit non-verbal. Simple acts such as holding a spoon and feeding themselves were celebrated as if it was Christmas. The parents and sibling gradually recognised and learned to read and understand the personality and character of their child as it emerged from the genetic maelstrom the neutrino has created. But a point was reached when, it seemed, little or no more progress was being achieved. The family loved the child for who they were, not how they were. The man in the dark suit put the dossier on the conference table next to his glasses and leaned back, stretching his neck and shoulder muscles. The expectant faces of those gathered were focused on him, awaiting his reaction and response. So it works. Complete genomic repair and resequencing. Heads nodded. There are no hidden side effects or consequences? Not that we have identified, said the man in the white coat at the other end of the table. The animals showed full restoration of gene product function. Metabolic and behavioural testing does not appear to deviate from the established control norms. The man paused, deep in thought, before announcing, Ladies, gentlemen, I congratulate you. We stand on the precipice of a new era in which rare genetic diseases will be eliminated forever from the human genome. Your names will stand alongside Mendel, Crick, Watson, Franklin, Charpentier and Doudna in the pantheon of genetic heroes. He stood. The cough from the man in the white coat caught the black suit's attention. If I may just say something, he began. I agree with your statement, but the results from the germline tissue are not as convincing as for the somatic cells. We've documented non-functioning and, in some cases, even aberrant germline cells. I would recommend, if I may be so bold to advise, that the best we can offer at the moment is only single-generational correction. Good, take the next step said the man over his shoulder as he left the room. The assembled faces now turned to the other end of the conference table. What we need now, said the chief scientist, is a suitable candidate. Ideas, anyone? The announcement set the airwaves buzzing and the cybersphere humming with activity. It made the first item on the breakfast, midday and evening versions of broadcast news. Reporters from the 24-hour news stations sought out any scientist, religious leader or philosopher who was willing to give a comment and or an opinion. Charities and online support groups for rare diseases, and some not so rare, were flooded with requests for more information about where and when the technique was available. No parent ever gives up hope for their child and the promise of an immediate cure opened an old wound, even with families who had learned to accept their child, disabilities included. 
the El Dorado of normality, the promised land, the utopia where their child could now become the individual they'd first desired and wished for, had become a reality. There was an initial screening process comprising sequencing of the child's damaged gene, followed by a comprehensive psychological analysis of the parents. The man in the dark suit put down the report. The assembled waited with bated breath. In the opinion of the experts, the child does not have either the capacity to understand or the ability to communicate beyond a few simple signs. There is no detectable indication of higher cognitive functions. They conclude that the child is unable to provide informed consent. The final decision is the parents. It took time to prepare everything, but the day finally came to administer the therapy. The chief scientist and man in the black suit had escaped from the crowded press conference and were now standing outside the treatment room. Inside, the parents held hands and talked quietly to the child as a distraction from the pain caused by the insertion of the line into a vein through which the repair and resequencing agent would be administered. The nurse connected the line to the bag, opened the valve, and gave the bag a gentle squeeze. The first drops fell. Something is going on. I've been asked lots of questions recently by strangers, and I've heard the word damaged a lot, which I don't really know what they mean, but I think it indicates I'm different. I tried to answer their questions, but they didn't know how to communicate with me. My parents do, but they didn't ask me any questions. I think I must be damaged, because I've never been able to do many of the things my brother does. They say I will soon. I sensed my parents' concern this morning, and then they brought me here. I don't feel unwell, and I'm not in pain. I don't really like hospitals. The smells and lighting make me feel a little scared. I remember that if I'm at a hospital, bad things happen to me like just now when they stuck a needle in my arm. I've always found it difficult to get my body to work, and I don't fully understand everything that's said to me, but I've got better at it, and I'm learning as I get older, albeit slowly. I try to respond to everyone as I like people, but it is all so difficult and tiring as my body won't do what I want, or it takes a long time before my thoughts result in actions. My parents were impatient at first, but now they realise and understand me more, so they wait. I don't think I'm damaged. I get angry. I laugh. I smile. I enjoy being alive. I'm happy. I love my parents, and I know they love me, even though I'm different. Will I still be me if I'm repaired? What will change? Will I still like bananas? Will I even be able to talk? Will my favourite colour remain blue? Will I still prefer Star Trek to Star Wars? Perhaps I might not love my parents and brother any more. I'm feeling a little strange now, and my head is hurting. I think I need to sleep. Welcome, Brian. It's good to be here with you. Hi, happy to have you there. One can understand why your story received the most moving prize. 
it is indeed full of emotion, patchwork of sometimes conflicting thoughts and feelings that people concerned may have about gene therapy. Where did you find your inspiration? Partly comes from personal experience. The story is very close because we do have a son. He has Pitt-Hopkins syndrome, which is known as an ultra-rare genetic syndrome. And the description of the story of how it happened is the best they think. The inspiration for the basis of, for the nature of gene therapy kind of comes from that. My wife runs a, a charity for that particular syndrome. And so kind of the discussion of gene therapy had taken place, we've had with a number of families. So I guess it's part of my motivation was to ask the question, how would gene therapy affect someone like our son? There is actually a famous quote, I think it's from Jurassic Park and the, the character of Ian Malcolm. I could be wrong. He basically says, just because we can do something, should we do it? I think uh, trying to apply that question to gene therapy was partly the most, well, gene therapy to a particular aspect of disability, which is neurodevelopmental. I think that's kind of the mo motivation from it. So, yeah, it's a mixture of kind of personal and professional, really. I thought it was a good opportunity to pose that question to people because it's, it's sometimes a question that people don't think about. And, I, and particularly the last part of the story, which is the voice of the, of the, the child, that voice often isn't heard in, in, the, in the gene therapy argument, argumentation. And very often in the lack of an ability to communicate the, what the person is feeling doesn't necessarily mean that they're not thinking it. Another statement which has rung true with me as part of when we have worked with Christopher has been just because someone can't say something doesn't mean they don't have something to say. And it's very often that kind of communication bridge you have to find. So that was also kind of part of the motivation was to give the recipient of the gene therapy a voice, possibly. Yeah, I felt, I, to, to, to be fair, I felt a lot on that last part. I saw that what was the original part, you know, giving the floor to the people who have different interests on the stuff. And this part, giving the floor to someone who, you know, there is something that says uh, when you cross someone disabled way and you see disability before you see the person and then very often you see only disability. So giving the floor to, to that last part of, uh, well, who am I going to become? I, I found that very powerful. I understand now that you can feel that it's coming from a, a personal experience. It was very powerful. It was very important to make the tone and style of that final part different to the, to the rest of the story. I mean, to, to get that kind of change of voice and a different perspective. The first part of the story is it's kind of pure science fiction based on some experience, perhaps a little bit of cynicism about the motives of some of the people who are doing, doing gene therapy as well, mixed in there. So the contrast between the two parts was one thing I really wanted to establish. In, in the first part, I could read some knowledge. So my question was, uh, is gene therapy related to your technical area, the one you cover in the office? Yeah, it's exactly the area I work in. Um, I'm, I'm a biotech examiner, and particularly in the area of clinical diagnosis. But I also do a lot of opposition work in other related biotech areas. And prior to the writing the story, I'd just come off in opposition three cases related to the gene therapy technique called CRISPR. So I'd say kind of, it was that kind of technology was kind of, and the thoughts about it were kind of bubbling un under the surface anyway. So it, it kind of is my technical area. So I tried to bring a, a little bit of that into the story. Kind of wasn't plucked out from nowhere. Oh, yeah, I have some experience, at least from a theoretical point of view, of gene therapy. 
Yeah, well, I, I do think it worked well because it's also something that uh, that is strongly to be felt in uh, in your text. How did the colleagues and uh, other potential readers react uh, when the text was published? Pretty positively. I'm kind of well known within the biotech area for writing stories because I'm a member of the EPO Writers Club. Well, I was a member of having having recently retired. I hope you continue to write for them. And so they are kind of familiar with my style and my ideas. And I suspect from those people, it was a, the reaction was more of, ah, it's, an, it's another one of Brian's stories. I did, however, get a number of emails from people who were totally unrelated, who felt that I had touched on something, something that they'd been feeling. So the f- general feedback I got from colleagues was positive. I, think, say, I, I don't really see myself as a writer. I'm more of a, a storyteller than a writer. So trying to get that emotional content into the story is one of the most difficult things to do. So I think I'm a little bit surprised that people found it as powerful as it seems to have been, because in terms of where I think my the writing strengths are, I wouldn't necessarily say it's in being able to express those type of things very well. Yeah. You know what? Knowing that I would uh, facilitate a little bit that conversation, I, I gave the text to relatives people I know from different horizons and, 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 and the word you said powerful is really exactly the central word that I systematically received ah, everybody goodness. said they commonly agreed on that it is powerful text full of emotion ah, thank you so I think I wanted to share that with you yeah I wish I could bottle how I managed to do that and put it into my other stories because it's always, it's always um, I find one of the hardest things to do well I think you did well on this one at least Well, Brian, thank you very much for this exchange. Thank you. Thank you. Let's now jump to the second story, the exhibition, written by Christophe Poisat, examiner in dimensional metrology. Initially, the exhibition was written in French. It has been translated for this podcast. People interested can find the original version in the pieces attached to the show. What if technology could help transforming disabilities into strengths? This open question resonates between EPO's wall. Having in mind some of the candidates of our European Inventor Award, such as Thomas Oxley, who designed a brain-computer interface to control digital devices using thoughts, or the young inventor Filippa de Souza Rocha, who invented a blood-based coding system and programming language which allow children with visual impairment to control a robot, a little bit like playing a computer game. Or Elena Garcia Armada, who created the first adaptable exoskeleton for children, and many others. The exhibition won both jury and staff prizes. And here it is. I love it. Hugo Reinhard, a former senior reporter turned art critic, could not believe his eyes. The walls of the Art Inc. gallery resounded to the rhythm of his I love it, uttered far too loudly. All the guests at the opening of Selene Bord's photography exhibition turned at once to look at the 40-something-year-old, with both annoyance and amusement. Some smiled when they saw him in his pink suit, which was far too big for their taste, clearly confirming this stranger's eccentric nature. Undeterred, he raised his glass and shouted even more loudly, Congratulations to the artist! Allowing himself to be carried away by the Ode to Joy, the chosen background music, he looked again at the photographs on display at the exhibition. Portraits of women, 
children and men of all ages and from all continents filed past him. Hugo was fascinated by their mysterious beauty, which was enough to make the Mona Lisa pale into insignificance. It was then that he noticed the backdrops, which were both strange and familiar. He wondered, as a good art critic should, could these cities, these interiors and these landscapes be a key to interpreting the photos? He stepped closer, his face soon brushing against the portrait of a farmer with skin as wrinkled as the freshly ploughed fields that lay behind him. Intrigued, he noted that the paper was singularly and inconsistently grainy, like a work in relief. Do you like it? When Hugo failed to respond, Selene de Bord repeated her question, raising her voice. Do you like it? This time, Hugo reacted, taking a step back before making himself known again with an impassioned, No, I don't like it. I love it. He followed up with, But how do you do it? You're the artist, right? Selene whirled around, letting her long blue dress break the silence that had settled, before she said in one breath, full of self-confidence, Yes, I'm the photographer, and blind from birth, as you probably know. How do I do it? I take photographs by sound, smell, touch, and with the help of my homemade camera, which recognises my environment, describes it to me instantly and, in doing so, helps me to frame and capture the moment. But that's not the point. My secret is simple. I love people. I've never seen what I've photographed, but I'm told that it's good, so... Hugo nodded. Your work is not just good, it's brilliant. You have a real talent. Thank you, but why are you shouting so loudly? I'm blind, not deaf. You might not be, but I am, almost completely, replied Hugo. I lost 90% of my hearing in Ukraine during my last reporting assignment, and my hearing aid is not working very well today. On the other hand, Hugo continued, when this hearing aid works, it's amazing because it translates all languages simultaneously. Of course... I didn't have it yet when I was in Ukraine. It's a pity, because I didn't understand when someone shouted in Ukrainian, watch out, mines. So now I have a hearing aid, and I'm able to walk thanks to an exoskeleton hidden discreetly under a baggy pink suit. Wow, from what I can't see, you're quite charming. Their laughter intermingled once again their smiles increasingly sharing a sense of accord, before Selene spoke again, her face radiant. Thank goodness humanity is progressing. You mean in terms of technology? She thought about it, then decided on a simple answer, not wishing to get into a philosophical discussion about the progress of humanity in general. Yes, without technology, no photos for me, and no listening or walking for you. If I understand correctly, Hugo continued, you developed your homemade camera yourself, so you're not only an artist, you're good with technology as well? I'm an engineer with a PhD in optics.
Are you kidding? Always, because laughter is important. But no, I really do have a doctorate in optics. I worked on DVS or dynamic vision sensors, a new type of sensor inspired by nature, which is faster and uses less energy. It will revolutionize optics. Explain it to me. No time. Look it up on the internet. Hugo couldn't fail to hide his surprise. You seem to be in a hurry all of a sudden. What's going on? If you want to know what changed my life, it was meeting a group of people who are, like me, different, shall we say, and who, together with others, want to overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Hugo asked, What do you mean? Our experience is that, the more diverse we are, the more we find solutions to seemingly unsolvable problems. The proof? I'm blind. I have a PhD in optics, I'm a photographer, and my camera is highly innovative. So we have not only blind people, but also deaf people, sociologists, engineers, people without speech, neuroscientists, foreigners, athletes, homeless people, artists, geeks, autistic people, eccentrics, and even so-called normal people. A real joy. Our main problem is finding normal people. In fact, there are fewer normal people than you might think, which is hardly surprising. For example, about one in four Europeans are considered to have some form of disability. So our group is incredibly diverse, and it works. We already have dozens of patents to our credit, ultralight, all-terrain, electric wheelchairs, our disability series, apps for people with disabilities, such as a multilingual app that reads lips with immediate transcription on connected glasses, not to mention technical improvements for the future Olympic and Paralympic Games. Selene seemed to be staring at Hugo, who didn't know what to say, drowning in a sea of words and ideas. It's impressive, he finally murmured. You're creative because you're curious and open. You care about other people and... Yes, we innovate because we decided not to leave anyone by the wayside. That requires lots of brain power and determination and love. Are you always so surprising? No, I can be boring too. But if you really want to know everything, you haven't actually seen anything because my photos are also designed for blind people. Can you explain it this time, without referring me to the internet? Yes, but briefly, because we only have 1,500 words. What? You'll understand soon enough. So, in short, my photos are in Braille. Selene pointed out that the signs didn't say, don't touch, but rather, please touch. She took his hand and placed it on one of the photographs. Hugo felt the raised surface. Dots. Patterns made of dots. Hugo had noticed that the photo paper was grainy, but never, oh, never would he have imagined that it was to enable partially sighted and blind people to see photographs. 3D printing, Selene said proudly. This makes it possible to scan a face and even to perceive emotions through the words in Braille that I hide in the reliefs that indicate the shapes. 
It was definitely at this moment that Hugo fell in love. But that's another story, and the words are running out. Um, what's this about 1,500 words? Do you really want to know? Yes. Well, I like to write, but I lack imagination. So I gave a topic proposed by the European Patent Office on the 50th anniversary of the European Patent Convention to an artificial intelligence tool. Are you joking again? No. The topic, which I've adapted a little and given to this homemade AI, which has been trained, as it should be, in diversity, is as follows. Write, in 1500 words, a story that addresses, with a touch of humour and a touch of love, the theme of disability and innovation, under the banner of diversity and inclusion. And? We are at 1498 words. No. Yes. Welcome, Christophe. Hi, Dominique. I wonder, was the exhibition really written by an artificial intelligence, as mentioned in the story itself? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I believe I wrote it. But you can never be too careful, Dominique. To be really sure, I asked an AI if my tech was written by an artificial intelligence tool, and it confirmed what I thought. This text is 100% human. What a relief for me, Dominique, you can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine, yes. But, you know, it was a rhetorical question, of course. Uh, every single time I read the exhibition, I discover new tricks and wings hidden all over the text, like the name of the company Art Inc. that gives an acronym AI, or the reference to Ode to Joyce, which is the European anthem, symbol of diversity and inclusion, or the pink jacket of the man and the blue dress of the woman, inverting the male-female usual colors and so on, and so on. The exhibition is really an energetic and witty text, full of hope, that plays with the readers, bringing them from one reality to another. How did you come to that story and its specific development? Not so easy to answer, Dominique. <laughs> you know it perfectly. Our brain is like a complex AI tool, a kind of black box. So it's difficult yeah, to really know how some ideas floating around in my head or in your head take shape. However, I remember to have decided to play as much as I could with concepts and words related to handicapped and innovation. That was the topic. And also related to diversity and inclusion. I'm a DNI promoter, the European Patent Office. So logically, I wanted to insert some basic concept such as some of what we call here at the office our 10 inclusive behaviors. Uh, for instance, care, of course, leave no one behind, or value differences. I also like, uh, it was really a, a lesson for me, the idea within the frame of diversity and inclusion, flip it to test it. This to question prejudices or habits. And yeah, this explains the colors you mentioned before. The colors of the clothes of uh, Selene, and, and you go. And I think this may also uh, help to understand how I came to the idea of a blind photograph. Why not a blind photograph? And being a patent examiner, did it have any influence on your writing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, we, we work in a very methodical, systematic way, studying patents and a lot of technology. So I decided to come up very systematically with a list of potentially useful technologies for disabled people. And also, I was listing some so-called cutting-edge 
technologies, such as artificial intelligence, surprise, surprise, 3D printing, or optical sensors, like the so-called DVS or dynamic vision sensors on which I am working. As you said before, I'm working in the field of measurement. Yes, of course, as patent examiner, <laughs> it helps to get some input. In the invitation to write a short story, it said something very interesting or motivating. Creativity is at the heart of the competition. So simple question now, who is creative? What do you think? Inventors are creative. Artists are creative. So I logically starting thinking about creating a character who was an artist, a scientific and an engineer at the same time. And there was a moment where Selene, a blind woman photographer, came to mind, presenting her work in an exhibition of photos taken by a camera developed by herself and working with a diverse and collaborative team to develop further technology. The 3D printer found then immediately its place in the story. But there was something missing. I remember this. Selene came to me and told me, Christophe, I'm alone and bored. So she introduced me to Hugo. And so it went on. To come back to your question, after a few iterations and loops and loops in the loops, I decided that only an AI could have written something like that. Not me. Impossible. Well, thank you, Christophe. This is very interesting. So I can see now a little bit that you were not on your own to write that whole story. There was a different facets of you, huh? the examiner, the DNI promoter, and that somehow even the people within the story uh, dragged you in a certain direction. Like if it was not totally written only by you, but by the, the story itself. It's really very, very, very interesting. Thank you. Then again, how did colleagues and other readers uh, reacted to this when they saw it? Very positively. Their feedbacks gave me a lot, a lot of energy. And uh, we had really interesting discussions also. I, I remember one critics that it was a bit too positive. Yeah, I agree. It's a bit positive or a bit too positive. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> And, and, and one question uh, was also interesting for me. Did you get the feedback from people with the disability of Silen and Hugo? Uh, at that time, no, I must say, as I got that, that question. But uh, recently, I got feedback uh, from two blind people. I met one of them purely by coincidence. I sent him the text, and in brief, he wrote to me the feedback in French. Merci pour votre texte, pour paraphraser votre Hugo. J'adore. So in English now, thank you for your text. To paraphrase your Hugo, I love it. It's very accurate, funny, and light at the same time, which is essential for this kind of subject. So he made further comments and at the end invited me to, to, to meet him, to speak about uh, from the technological point of view, where they are, what is his experience, and so on. So we met in real life with him, his wife, his dog, and it was really a wonderful, really a wonderful evening, full of humor. And I learned a lot, really a lot. At the end, can you imagine, he took a photo of me and my wife with his smartphone, guiding by software, yeah, using probably artificial intelligence. He told me, Christophe, you know, there are people like Hugo and Selene, but for others, a handicap remains a great challenge. There's still a lot to be developed in terms of technology for people with disability. And he also told me something that may sound obvious, but that the most important thing is the way we all are 
in our everyday lives, the way we behave as human beings. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. We are not artificial. We are not artificial beings with artificial intelligence. We are human beings. But sometimes we forget this and tends to behave like machines and think like artificial intelligence. Yeah. At the end, as Selen said to Hugo during the exhibition, if you remember, what is important is to love, to love technology and more importantly, to love people, to be human. Well, this is really a great story, Christophe, really a great story. Thinking that the story you wrote becomes somehow outside a kind of a reality. It's amazing. I guess, yes, it must be very satisfactory. Thank you very much for this. I think it's no time to uh, listen to our third story, Mosaic, which received the most thought-provoking prize. Mosaic is a poem, also originally written in French by Paul Gillis, formalities officer in polymers. A formalities officer is the expert taking care of the respect of all formal aspects related to patent applications. This ability is usually perceived as a weakness, but what if we change point of view, if we forget the strong and the weak? If we look at ourselves as a patchwork of complementary skills and abilities, that's the approach of Mosaic, an optimistic, utopian poetic tale with a strong central message. Fully embrace diversity and inclusion could bring humanity to the next level. And this is in the hands of each of us. Let's now listen to it. Mosaic. Once upon a time, a king blind down there in a strange land where differences together formed a vast garden overflowing with life, ideas, colors, words, a mosaic of benevolent silence. Nothing and no one was the same, nor really different, for everything came together in a unique puzzle of fragments of harmonies. One day, the king clear-sighted, woke up in a thousand pieces on the other side of the mirror and thought, let's include inclusion in our way to shape the world. Let's create without pencil the rays of the sun, a machine full of ideas, a new impetus, a possibility for all, a unique logical invention, unclassifiable, innovative, moving, a device to recognize and tell diversities, integrate them in our galaxy of superheroines of all kinds. No weaklings, a generous yogi to sublimate souls, a beneficent friend on whose shoulder to lean on, a benevolent machine that would read the darkest thoughts and transform them into positive vibrations. A kaleidoscope, a painting, an amphora, a rainbow, a way of working moving forward together further and further to reach the heights. You lend me your eyes, I offer you my arm to guide you. My legs carry you far away. Your hand writes for me a refrain. The machine bursts with ingenious ideas. You take out what you need. A helping hand, a drawing, a swarm of diligent bees to make the earth turn. One morning we open our eyes clear on our superpowers with endless possibilities in our hands. Once upon a time, there was a king. Look at me. The king is you. The machine is all of us. It's life. It's engine, our ideas, the invention of the century. Let's help each other because here, there, 
everywhere. We are all, after all, superheroes. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Dominique. Really glad to have you here. Your text reminded me a quote of Oscar Wilde. Poets, you know, are always ahead of science. All great discovery of science have been stated before in poetry. How did you come to the idea of writing a poem on this? Well, first of all, I really like your quote that you just uh, read. And I, I think it's completely true that science and poetry are strongly connected. Poets generally use, use words and scientists use facts, but both try to go above what we see, actually. And the result is finally, at one point, the same. So how did I come to the idea? It was very easy for me. As soon as I saw that there was a um, short competition story on that team, I thought that I would really like to participate. And it was immediately obvious to me that it would be in the form of a poem. Why? Because, well, of course, the, the theme, as I said, really spoke to me. I thought it was really inspiring and powerful. And um, since I've been a very small child, poetry has always been my own way of expressing how I feel and emotions, ideas. It's always been very important to me. So I also thought in that context that a poem would be something different, more original, and also it would be a playful way of raising awareness on diversity and inclusion. Of course, I was aware when I decided to write a poem that it, I was taking a big risk because it was supposed to be a short story, first of all. And not everybody is receptive to poetry in general and have, you know, like uh, for everything else, uh, the same as everything else, we have prejudice sometimes. But actually, finally, I decided, okay, I I have the idea, I wrote a poem, I will just give it a try. And I'm very happy I did because it turned out that everybody actually who submitted a story submitted something different. Not one story was the same style. Everybody had different inspirations and even different formats. So actually, in the end, I was very happy. This is also actually complete diversity in this competition. I was happy I did in the end, and I was not expecting to even win a prize. So it was a big surprise for me. Yeah, and it was not any prize, huh? the most thought-provoking prize. I guess it's a recognition of the content. For me, poetry, it's a light complexity. It seems light. And in fact, it's quite complex. I fully saw that in, in, in what you wrote. I really enjoyed reading it. How did the other people react to your writing, uh, colleagues and outside? They reacted actually very positively. I was not sure how it would be received, of course. And all of the comments that I got were absolutely enthusiastic. And it was very nice as well for me because many colleagues wrote to me, even colleagues I actually have uh, hardly knew, to tell me that they were really surprised, that they didn't know I was writing poetry. And it was a very nice way also of uh, communicating in another way with colleagues. I mean, in another way than we usually do in the work context. I think that the actually the purpose of the poem was uh, really achieved because many of them, I think, started thinking a bit about the team. And it's definitely, I think it raised some awareness on diversity and inclusion as well. And as you said, it seemed maybe that a poem was something a bit like lighter or not so serious for this kind of theme. But actually, on the contrary, I think that it was the perfect way of expressing it. For me, really, the 
the title Mosaic in itself, it's really based on the belief that um, if we dream together using all of our combined strengths and weaknesses, even if we put everything together, all of us, we can really achieve something really big and useful in the end. And yeah, also, of course, the, the poem is also based on the fact that sharing ideas and thoughts of all kinds and putting them all together is actually the essence of invention, I think. Thank you very much, Paul. In fact, what you said bring me to one thing. The three short stories are very different from each other, and somehow it feels like they are inspired by the very same thing. When we think or look at people, at disabled people, we see disability and then we see the people. But when you start to focus and pay attention to the people and not to the disability, there is really a richness to discover. So uh, really, I want to thank you for your words. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. Yes, actually, the, my major inspiration when I started thinking about writing a poem was a dear childhood friend of mine who um, actually suffered, unfortunately, from a very severe degenerative condition, which made him gradually lose all of his faculties. And at the time I knew him, for the, for the first time, he was 14 years old. And at that time, he was already uh, fully blind. But strangely to me, at the time, I was also very young. And I was surprised to see that he was really one of the most positive and mature persons I ever met in my life. And I always really had the impression that he could understand and see things better than me and really grasp the world in a way that I could not, and obviously other people could not either. He was extremely imaginative, and he was always full of bright ideas and always so enthusiastic. And I thought, I mean, I, I never met someone like that in my life. I thought it was very impressive. And I kept him in my memories because unfortunately he passed away since then when he was still very young. And um, I could not write this kind of poem without thinking immediately of him, of course, so he was the starting point of my poem, and specifically, he is my blind king, who actually is, uh, for me, completely a visionary. Well, that's it for our disability and innovation stories. I hope you found listening to them as worthwhile and inspiring as we did, and that you enjoyed discovering the people behind the professionals, the artists behind the experts. That's it for today. We would, of course, love to hear what you thought of our stories and this special initiative. So please, let us know by commenting here on one or the other of our posts linked in the show notes. And if you liked it, subscribe to our channel on the podcast platform of your choice. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.